You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I want to be a producer with a hit show on Broadway. I want to be it's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, it's Ken. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, and I hope it's pulling back the curtain on this business of Broadway. If you're looking to learn more about what makes this industry tick, go to my website, kendavenport.com, and sign up for my weekly newsletter. I'll send you one email a week, one article about what I'm seeing, trends, insights, marketing ideas on what's happening on Broadway right now. That's kendavenport.com. Hope to see you there and in your inbox. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Producer's Perspective podcast. I'm Ken Davenport. Today's guest has done a lot of things in this business, which is a theme for a lot of our guests, actually. But this guy has been an actor on Broadway in shows like A Few Good Men, which I'm still angling to bring back. Uh, he's directed. He's a producer as well, having just produced the last five years movie. Um, but he's most well known for being the founder of one of the leading cast album companies on Broadway, Shikaboom Records. Welcome Grammy Award winner Kurt Deutsch. Hello. So let me tell you a little bit about the, the story of how I met Kurt. It was 2005, I think. And I got an email saying, hey, Ken, I hear you're doing the show called Alter Boys. I want to talk to you about it. So we met at the Cafe Luxembourg, which is right across the street from my house. We had a burger, and he said what uh, my favorite words, which are, Hey, Ken, we're doing something completely different over at Chickaboo. Um, and he had a great idea and a new model for doing cast albums. And we did Alter Boys, of course. Um, and the album is great. Go pick it up on Shikaboom. Uh, and then since then, Kurt has gone on through Shikaboom and Ghost Light Records, uh, his other label. They've done everything from Book of Mormon, Newsies, In the Heights, Next to Normal, Elf, My Production of Godspell, and many, many more, including a ton of solo albums for Broadway artists, including Sutton Foster, Alice Ripley, Adam Pascal. It's a lot of albums, Kurt. How many albums have you done, do you think, now? Um I think in our catalog, there's over 150 albums. 150? Yeah. 
That's a lot. Yeah. So tell me what the impetus was for starting Shikaboom. How it all started for a guy who was an actor right. and a producer. Well, originally we started it uh, in, I guess, 1999, 2000. And, um, and Sherry Renee Scott, who co-founded the label with me, and Adam Pascal were doing AIDA. And there was, uh, I think, a... Cast albums were not even part of the picture initially. It was really about, after Rent, there's this new generation of Broadway fan because of the internet and um, and a new generation of Broadway artists who didn't necessarily want to grow up and just do show tune records. So, so we had this idea to start a label... Um, for artists who are bridging the gap between rock and roll and theater. And so that's how Shikaboom really started. It started as a kind of a united artist for Broadway actors to do their own thing. So Adam Pascal wrote his own music. Alice Ripley wrote her own music. And Sherry had this idea for an album called Men I've Had featuring songs by the composers she worked with who happened to be like Elton John and, and Pete Townsend and so covers of of those albums and so that's really how it all started um and and so it was and we felt like because they were doing eight shows a week on Broadway um we would be able to have a built-in audience for these these artists and so we we put their websites in their bios and like uh and basically said you know I have a solo album go to sherryreneescott.com and you know and buy it and Disney was um, able to you know sell the solo records in the in the theater and it was it so basically that's how that's the genesis of how it all started and uh, and then we started doing cast albums a few years later um, as I learned more about the music industry. What was the first cast album you did? The first cast album we did was the last five years, um, the off Broadway production of the last five years, and basically the idea, you know, I I read this book called. Every like it was something like everything you ever wanted to know about the music business or something. I, you know, it was one of those kind of like you know how to succeed in business. So it's like everything you want to know about the, it was by a guy named Donald Passman. I think was 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 his name. Anyway, how to start your own record label and um, and we were in my second bedroom and just working and and but basically what I found out was the the recording contracts were so unfair to the artists. You know, really, artists make their money not necessarily from the sale of their records. They make their money from touring or from the publishing of the of the songs. Um, and so the the royalty is very, very, very small. And historically, Broadway cast albums, major labels would do them, and the producer or the show wouldn't necessarily make a lot of money off of the cast album. And I couldn't believe that a producer would give one of their most major assets away and so we created a profit sharing structure and an ability for producers to co-own or own the master recordings and um and share in the profits much much earlier and um and so that's really how it all started so with the last five years ariel tepper and marty bell were the producers and i basically went to them and said hey I love this show. I think it's a masterpiece. Why don't we just put the money up, pay for it, and hopefully we'll make some money off of this record. And um, and so that was really the first 
cast album we did that way and so and that was when we kind of invented the model and and since then and that album has made a lot of money we made a movie of it and um it's had and because of the album it's had you know hundreds and hundreds of productions around the world and um you know it's been great so before that, you were literally in your bedroom reading. You had you, you don't have a music recording background. You didn't go to school for any of this stuff. No, no. I was an actor. I was an actor, and pretty much all my life. And then I went to college for directing, and um, and I always did musicals in the summer. I knew musical theater. I cared deeply about musical theater. I wanted to produce, I wanted to direct, I wanted to do all of those things, and, um, and acting was just how I made money, um, doing television, and, 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 but then when I, when Sherry and I married, we met doing Randy Newman's musical Faust, and, um, and then I was living in Los Angeles at the time, and then we moved back to New York, and I did my Sex in the City, and I did my Law and Order, and I did my, you know, the things that at that time, the things that filmed here. And I was like, just, I just was not, I, I wanted more. And so we had this idea to start this company, and, and, um, and that's kind of how it all happened. Was it hard to convince Marty and Ariel to take a stab at you this? You know, the album was not the most expensive record to make. So um, it wasn't it wasn't hard, um, actually, because it was it was very natural. Mar you know I think what's hard is that when a lot of producers are so used to the old way, but when I showed them what you know, if we sold this amount of units, like what what you could make or you know, and the thing is is that when you look you know, it's not like a hit record um, you know, that's gonna kind of just like sell a lot of units and then not and then not um, ever sell. It's like the last five years sells every week a hundred records, and it's been that way. And it's been that way for you know uh, since two thousand and two. Just every week, it'll just continually. Say, it's just because people are discovering these things. You know, there's a revival, or Jason has a new musical, or Sherry or Norbert are in show. It just, it constantly regenerates because there's always musical theater students who are just wanting to discover or find, now that the movie is out, you know, it's having a whole new rebirth, you know, and um, and so, so cast albums I look at as kind of annuities. You know, they're they're not flash in the pans they're things that just are going have a very very long shelf life and uh and a long tail is basically the way that i look at it that was one of the things i was most excited about doing with the godspell album because i knew there would probably not be another major godspell production there had only been the original for in terms of a first class recording and that show which is done all over the place and all the time mm -hmm. will live on for decades yep. and decades yeah um how much did that last five years album cost to make back then? I think that that album cost around $90,000, something like that. And for me, I remember when you made the pitch to me, one of the comparisons I thought of was that the big studio, quote-unquote, cast albums seemed to never make money in a way that people describe it like Hollywood. There were all this bullshit, you know, different accounting lines, and it seemed that they never made money, which, of course... The Cats recording made money. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, the the way that the royal royalty structure, you know, works, kind of in the old traditional uh, way, is very, very weighted for the record label. 
the artist, and in the case of cast albums, the artist is the Broadway show, has a very small royalty. So basically what ends up happening is it's such a, it's, I mean, I remember drawing diagrams to you and like explaining to you like in a pie, you know, you, you, I mean, the simplest way I can say is that let's just say that you get $10 in the door um, and it costs $100,000 to make a record and you have a 10% royalty. $1 goes to the artist in a little piggy bank and $9 goes to the record label essentially and when that $1 reaches $100,000, that's when the royalty for the show would kick in. Meanwhile, the label will have made $900,000. That's the simplest way that I can describe it, but it seemed very, very unfair to me. So, so basically what I said was, why don't we just all do it together? You know, And when it pays its money back then we all share in it. I mean, that just seems fair, you know? It just seems more fair. And, you know, we often talk about the recoupment rate of Broadway shows being one out of five. On average, what do you think the recoupment rate is for albums well, these days? music has changed so drastically over the past. I mean, when I first started making these records, we were still doing it on tape, you know? It's like now it's all digital. Um, Amazon and iTunes... Amazon was just starting. iTunes was not existent. And streaming, of course, was completely out of the picture. There's no YouTube or anything like that. So things have changed drastically over the last, you know, even two years. Um, but, you know, I, a show that has a limited run um, that is being preserved for n- not necessarily to make money, um, doesn't make its money back a show, you know, because it, if let's just say it was a, a show like um, Giant, for example, which was Michael John Lacusa's um, beautiful musical at the Public Theater. It's to me just like his score is a masterpiece, and you know, and it was it was paid for by you know a foundation. The album was paid for by a foundation and the Public Theater, Ted Shen Family Foundation, and he's there to support Michael John and the public, and never thought that it would make its money back, you know, so it's, you know, without a cast album, it's as if the music, musical doesn't exist, you know, so that's there for licensing purposes, it's there for a lot of other, other things, but a show like Book of Mormon or, you know, name, name a hit Broadway musical that runs for years and years and has multiple companies and that just continues to run, those will make its money back, so I do, I think of things very differently in terms of, okay, what is the purpose? And I'm pretty honest with the producers. And I say, you know, I don't think that this is going to make its money back, but I know how important it is for you to have a record for marketing purposes, for future licensing, for all of those things. So you need to record it and we'll figure out the most economical way that you can record it. But for a show that I think will make money, I'll say, you know, we should do this, and I think that this is a really good investment, and you're you're going to make money on this thing. So, And it seems like the recording of albums has become a lot easier in the past 10, 20 years, just the physical recording of it. It's, it has and it hasn't. I mean, the, it's easy to, you know, now you can mix a record anywhere. Um, you can, you, but you still need, especially for cast albums, you need the recording studio to be able to actually, you need a big recording studio to bring a giant cast of, you know, however big a cast is and band and everything like that. And unfortunately the recording studios in New York are dwindling. You know, we used to have 
some amazing recording studios, the Hit Factory, and and you know lots of great places. But space is hard to come by now, and so we have to just kind of really figure out how we're going to record it in the in the best way. Um, so that's it, it. It's easier to record, but it's but it's harder to figure out where to record now. When do you think a producer should start thinking about doing an album? Like where in the process? It seems to me that every musical has an album when it gets to a certain place, off-Broadway or Broadway. When should a producer start planning that? Well, there's a twofold answer. I think that when you're raising money for the show, you should put the cast album in your capitalization budget no matter what. You should put the budget for the cast album in your capitalization budget, and you should actually negotiate the mechanical rights. You should negotiate all of the stuff with the authors from from the get-go. Um, and secondly, um, you should record the album when the show is frozen, when the show is not going to have any more changes, when it's done, and you're ready to um, launch. I think that it makes sense to maybe lay down a few tracks as kind of demo recordings or for marketing purposes, maybe one or two or three songs, um, you know, prior to kind of as your marketing campaign goes. But for the most part, I wouldn't release an original cast album. The revival is different. An original cast album until the show is actually complete. And that's what you want to put out into the world. So let's just go back to this building it into the budget, because this is a trend that I've been seeing some producers do. Some people like to keep it separate, raise money for it separately. But by putting it into that original budget, then the show owns that album. So all the investors of that in that show are getting the benefit of that album for years and years, whether or not the show is a hit. Yeah. So you're, that's what you recommend? I would recommend doing it that way because you don't have to worry about it. I even tell not-for-profit theaters, you know, if you're, if you're going to produce a new musical, you know, whether it's at The Public or Playwrights Horizons or The Roundabout or wherever it is, it's like, I know money is hard to come by, you know, and you're putting all the money into the production and everything, but you know you're going to need the record. And so you're scrambling around trying to find a label to put the money in or trying to find this person to... But just... Know that you're going to make the record, know that it's going to happen, and and just put earmark that and know that it's going to be there because ultimately put it, I don't care where you put it, put it in the marketing budget. You need that music to sell a musical, you know, and if you can offset it maybe down the road, then, and somebody wants to come in like me or, or a guy says, hey, I'd like a piece of the record or, or whatever it is, then you don't necessarily have to put, you know, put all of it in, but... But just know that it's there. It's like a safety net so that you don't have to worry about it. It's such a smart idea. And look, I traditionally have built them separately. I right. put my album separate. But now that I think about it, you know, I think our initial reaction to producers is like, oh, don't give me another couple hundred thousand dollars to raise. I don't want to do that. But the fact is, it is such a safety net, partly because if the show isn't received well in the first couple months, and you, you're still going to want to do the album. Right. And then you're really going to be in trouble in terms of raising that money because every investor is going to say, well, how long is it going to run on Broadway? Because I'm sure you'll tell us that shows sell the most albums when you're doing eight shows a week and 2,000 people a night are seeing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they do. They sell, you know, you, you can guarantee that you're going to sell a few hundred records a week whether you know as long as the show is running on Broadway and it's a hit you know so I, I just think that um, it makes a lot of sense to just not worry and and it was the same thing that I said 
you know, when I initially kind of came up with the, the, the model, when I would talk to producers, they, they would say, they said exactly what you're saying. It's like, I don't want to have to worry about raising the money because these albums never make money. And I'm like, yes, they do make money. It's just that you're not seeing it. So, and, and, you know, and there's a lot of producers who feel that the traditional way, um, is the right way. And, and, you know, but things have changed now. Distribution is so easy and, and you just put it out there and, 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 and they, so, I mean, the thing that's hard now is, and is really the economics because of the streaming services and how we're getting paid, whether it's Spotify or Apple music. And there, there's just a lot, people don't feel like they should be paying for music anymore. So that's the hard challenge for any label, I think really is is how are people going to buy or how are people consuming you know CDs are going to be gone I mean they don't even put CD players in computers anymore so it's like those are going to be gone so it's like really how are we going to monetize music um, in the long term and I think that the union contracts have to change I think that a lot of things have to change given what's going on for the future and what do you think the future looks like if you could take a look 10 years, 20 years into the future in terms of music? I think it's going to be subscription-based. Um, I mean, artists are not going to stop creating, and so music is always going to exist. But I think that we're going to have to adapt with the cost of how things are being made. Um, and I think that what's going to end up happening is, is like with Apple, if it's, if it's Apple or whatever, it's all going to be subscription-based. So you're going to see millions of millions of millions of people subscribing to Apple Music, right? That's why Spotify doesn't really exist because it's ad-generated right now. There's not enough subscribers to really pay. But once there's one company, whether it's Apple or whoever it is, and there's 80 million people or 100 million people subscribing to that service, then you're going to see, I think, a more equitable distribution of of the money um, it may not be the same as buying a record, but you're going to see a more equitable distribution and people are going to be getting, you know, you're going to be getting paid more or the artist is going to be getting paid more. So I think that's probably what's going to end up happening. If the CD disappears, what the hell are we going to sell in the theaters? Anything? Well, I mean, it's interesting because I've, I've thought that what you're going to end up selling is um, a poster with a little, you know, a little code that says... You know, here's the record or a T-shirt that has, a, you know, a little code that, you know, you I and I also feel like, you know, you go to the theater, you should buy a ticket. I mean, if, for me, what my dream would be is that everybody who buys a ticket gets an email and it's th and the record is given to them. And you take a few dollars off of the, the ticket price that goes towards paying back the record and then everybody makes money because you're number one spreading the word of the music for all everybody who goes to see the show they have that to listen to hey i saw this great show listen to this music then they're going to buy a ticket and they're going to get the record so it's like you i just feel like that's the way to do it and and if you did it that way and you gave four dollars or whatever and they feel like they got it for free but you gave four dollars to back to the record or the capitalization then you will have paid back your record in you know three months basically because all those people will have seen it. So I, I think that would be a great thing to do if you can do that. You'll probably have to say something to the theater owners and everybody else who gets a piece of that. But you know what? Sometimes if you own the thing, you can do whatever you want to do with it. 
It's a very cool idea. Now, look, you've worked with a lot of producers. You're a producer yourself. What are some of the characteristics of uh, your favorite producers working today? Like, what does it take to be a successful producer on Broadway, do you think, today? Flexibility, imagination, collaboration, obviously brains, um, you know, because you've got to, you know, be smart and understand how it works. But I think that the, the people that I've worked with who are forward thinking, who really think about, you know, what the future of the theater is, who their audience is, who they're trying to attract, what's happening in social media and, you know, the digital age. You know, I think you have to be on top of all of that stuff, but then you also have to be able to communicate to the artists and the composers and the creators and your collaborators um, the message that you're trying to get across in order to build the best show that you possibly can, I I, I think. Um, And that would be my my takeaway from it. You've been observing Broadway, both as a fan, I'm sure, but also both as a professional. What do you think the current state of the music is on Broadway right now? Someone's um, recorded all these great albums. Well, it, I mean, it, it's amazing because, you know, you look at a show like um, Hamilton and you see how Lynn has his roots in traditional musical theater so deeply but he also has his roots in in the popular culture, and it's very exciting how he's how he's blended that. and And I think that um, a lot of the young composers that are coming up, whether it's you know Joe Iconis or Jason Robert Brown or Tom Kitt, all of these guys are rooted in traditional theater. They love it. But Joe, you hear Ben Folds in his music, or or Jason Robert Brown. There's a lot of Joni Mitchell. I mean, it's like there's the thing that's amazing about about these guys and it's what i said about you know when i started when i started the label with even the performers they are able to create a vocabulary the best composers they're able to create a vocabulary using um and storytelling using uh all of the influences of today whatever it whatever it demands and then they they put their own spin on it like janine tesori same thing it's like she has her own style, but you can hear all of her roots in other in other um, in other music. Whether it's Sondheim, whether it's pop pop music, it's just it's just it's it's amazing how these young composers are just drawing from all of their influences to create this new sound. I think. What I love about those three guys that you just mentioned, Tom and Joe and Jason, and how they roots in traditional musical theater, but also pop. All three of those guys have their own bands that mm-hmm. they play in, right? Mm-hmm. which I think is very, very interesting. Yeah. Uh, what would be your advice to people with a show that they're developing right now? Something new, they've written, they're trying to get it onto Off-Broadway or Broadway. How, do they record something? Do they hire a label? Do they do something simple? What's the best way to... Um, it's an interesting thing because I, I was on the board of the Weston um, Theater up in Vermont. And, and we created a, a award for... Um, uh, musicals, new musicals. And the award is basically you go up to Weston, you work for a week developing a, a musical, and what you don't get money, you don't get anything, but what you get is these actors and a piano player rehearsing a 30-minute concert, and then they come down to New York and I produce a demo for them. And so what they get out of it is a professionally produced demo that they can then submit to 
Rhinebeck, you know, all of these, the O'Neill or, or, or for grants or, or, for, or for whatever, but to create a very um, spare demo recording uh, where you can give it to some investors who might be interested, but you, but it's not just a composer sitting in his living room with a tape recorder, you know, because that's just never going to sound sound good. I don't think you need to have a lot of instruments on it. I think having other actors, real actors, sing on it is valuable, um, and the quality, even if it's just a piano or a guitar or simple, just really simple, so you hear the lyrics, you hear the basic melody, and you hear good performances. I think that's key. Okay, Kurt, we're up to my last question now, which has been affectionately referred to as my genie question that I ask all my guests. I want you to imagine that the genie from Aladdin knocks on your door and says, Kurt Deutsch, you've done such an amazing job at preserving so many great shows, some that may have disappeared if it wasn't for you. I want to thank you for that by granting you one wish. What is the one thing that drives you so crazy about Broadway, keeps you up at night, makes you so angry? What's the one thing you wish could just disappear or change in the snap of a finger? Hard one. But um, I I guess when it comes to my business or my core business, um, which is the preserving of original cast recordings, is that we somehow collectively the musicians union, the actors union, and um, the producers of the shows, and we figure out a way to understand that these albums are marketing tools and for the future of the shows and historical documents, and, um, and that we don't think of them as uh, giant paychecks. So these records actually don't have to cost $400,000 to make. They cost a lot less to make and um, are there for history. And if they do make money, then everybody shares in the making of the money. Um, But unfortunately, all of the contracts were signed or negotiated in a time when Broadway was kind of the pop music of the day and they were selling hundreds and thousands of millions of units. So, And they haven't really adapted to what's going on now. So I just wish that people under, you know, you think of these actors, the actors want the record, you know, because they want to say, hey, this was me in this show and this is my cast album that I'm on and the fans want it and musicians do too, you know, hey, I want to, I'm proud of my work and this was my work, you know, And, and so I think everybody wants that, but unfortunately it's very hard to get unions um, to understand that times are changing and, and this is really all for posterity. So I really wish that we could all just get in a room and figure out how to, how to just make these records a lot more cheaply so that everybody, so we can preserve all these things. Well, the theater is known as an industry that doesn't change very rapidly, yet at the same time you're working in an industry, in the music industry, that's changing at the speed of light. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and in pop records and and indie records cost, you know, and they s- cost basically nothing. You know, I mean, like in terms of production, you know, it's because you've got a guy who's creating electronic sounds in his in his room, and you know, and it's like they don't necessarily even use real musicians. You know, so it's just it's a whole different it's a whole different world, and um, you know, and I and I respect Broadway, and I respect theaters, and I respect the actors, and I respect everybody and all the musicians, and but I just feel like 
the original cast album is something that needs to be preserved and we need to figure out a way to make it cost effectively because without it, um, you know, without the record, nobody, nobody will be able to listen to these things in the long term. And you're hundred percent right about that. If they can't listen to it, they won't want to do it on yeah. top of that. We'll have yeah. less productions. So making sure we keep these cast albums going and, and produced for every musical that comes out is essential. I think, uh, Kurt, thank you so much for, for being with us. Cast albums are indeed an endangered species these days. Uh, you've dedicated so much time to making sure that so many shows, again, that may not have been preserved, are preserved for current generations and future generations. Uh, and we thank you for that. Thanks to all of you for listening. Coming up on next week's episode, we're going out on the road again with one of the leading presenters of Broadway entertainment in the country. Tune in and don't forget to subscribe. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.